Welcome to the Blockchain VC, a podcast about crypto and the digital assets ecosystem. My name is Tomer Federman, and I'm the managing partner at Federman Capital. We invest in the most promising blockchain startups across the globe. I have more than 15 years of experience in tech, and before starting the fund, I was on the product side at Facebook, where I led product strategy and global growth of some of Facebook's major ad products. Previously, I also lived in Silicon Valley for a few years, where I attended Stanford Business School. You can find me on Twitter at Tomer Federman. Before we begin, please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only. And all the opinions expressed on this show, either by guests or me, do not reflect the opinions of Federman Capital. Nothing on the Blockchain VC podcast represents an investment or financial advice. Please, do your own research. Also, if you like this episode of the Blockchain VC and want to help us bring more awareness to the space, I'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. This only takes a few seconds and helps us get the word out. Okay, let's do this. Really excited to welcome to the show today Noel Atchison, the new director of research at Coindesk. Noel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tarana. Great to be here. So would love to hear more about your background, Noel, and also about your new role. I know you've been at Coindesk for a while, but you just got uh, promoted to director of research. And so would also love to hear more about that. But maybe we can start with your uh, background and how you got into crypto to begin with. Mm, the once upon a time story. I started out in finance a very, very long time ago. I studied economics and maths at university. And of course, you go from there into the finance jobs. And this was back in the late 80s, where simply what you did back then, it was very different, very glamorous. I did that for about, I think it was 10 years and sort of analysis and then corporate finance. I ended up doing fund management. I moved to Spain because I always wanted to live in a Latin country and it's actually beautiful. I live there and I still live there. In fact, it's a beautiful country to live in. And then while I was here, I left fund management, what I was doing at the time, to set up one of the first e-commerce companies in Spain at the time. This is back in the year 2000. I mean, this is dinosaur time for Spain, which is behind the rest of the world, well, behind, certainly behind the United States in terms of technology development, uh, with, sort of, with all due respect. We were one of the first e-commerce portals in Spain at the time. And it was back when it was hard to find logistics companies willing to work with internet companies because they really didn't think e-commerce was going to be a thing. And was it? Mm-hmm. 2000 doesn't sound like that long ago in terms of technology development. It certainly was. And of course, Bitcoin wasn't even a glimmer in anyone's eye back then. <laughs> right. I sold, I sold that in 2013, decided to take a bit of time off to recover my brain, which was flatlining, total burnout. I started reading about... Things that have been happening in the world in my exist in my in my absence because you know it's like running a company you don't really have much of a life and the finance and technology two things I've always been interested in started reading about the massive changes in fintech that I had been ignoring and this word Bitcoin kept coming up and since I hate not understanding something I watched a Khan Academy video I think I even remember the date it was early January 2014. And I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. And the first time I watched this video, and I haven't looked back since. I just started reading. Immediately, the minute you saw that, you could tell like this thing is going to be transformative. The very idea, I mean, obviously, I had no idea it would become what it has become. But what gave me goosebumps when I saw that video was the very idea of a decentralized money. 
I mean, that in itself was powerful. I mean, just being nobody being able to curtail yeah. flows around the world. And obviously, the more you dig into it, the more you realize why those barriers are there in the first place. One of the things I loved about Bitcoin, and this I came to realize, I think just as soon as a week after starting to read about Bitcoin, is that I used to work in finance and I thought I understood money. I, mean, I used to hmm. work with it every day. I used to move it right. every single day. And all of my colleagues back then also, we really thought we understood money. And one thing Bitcoin has showed us is that we didn't. And we and most people still don't. This is one other thing that got me really excited about this field, the fact that we are all spoon-fed these ideas and we don't think to question them and that does make our lives less interesting and i'm speaking collectively here if we collectively start to question the assumptions on which we have been making all sorts of economic decisions for ourselves and for our businesses then that does open up new types of collaboration which let's face mm -hmm. it are increasingly necessary in this interconnected world technology the internet and then you you, know, you you were one of the you know, one of the earlier early workers on early builders on this new field that we have not yet changed our way of thinking in line with the type of connections that the new connective technologies give us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, that got broad really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did, and I'm sure we're gonna go much deeper in a second. But uh, so you watched that, you watched that video in 2014, and and then what? And then I researched, researched, and started writing on for myself. I mean, again, you probably know this also. You've written quite a lot. Writing is one of the best ways to learn something. Trying to explain it to other people, you realize what you don't understand. So I started writing for myself. I started teaching different kind of things, actually, technology and media, something I've also been very interested in for a long time. So I started teaching that. And then the time came, which was about a year and a bit later, a couple of years later, that I decided it was time to start earning a salary again. And so, of course, my dream would be to work in the Bitcoin field, but I tried to figure out well, who do I want to work for? And the only company that I wanted to work for at the time was Coindesk because it did what I thought the world most needed, which is explain this. Not, I won't use the word education, although I do see us as an education company because it can sound a bit condescending, but this needs explaining to everyone. And while I don't want to sound evangelist, I don't think that everyone should adopt Bitcoin. I don't think everyone should even care. It's not going to be material for a lot of people out there. It is something that we should get our heads around, just even if just for what I mentioned earlier, asking better questions. It doesn't give us the tool. It doesn't give us the answers, but it does give us a tool to ask better questions. And I think that will give us a healthier society with the disruption and everything that implies. Mm -hmm. So I wrote, I wrote to Coindesk. I wrote to them and I said, I know that you're in New York and I'm in Spain, but I would like to work for you. And then I, I got a I got an email from the CEO, Ryan Selkis, again saying, thank you very much for your interest. We'll keep you on file. We'll let you know if ever we want to open up an office in Europe. And I thought about it for a few hours. And then I wrote back to him and I said, thank you for getting back to me. This is why I think you should hire me now. And I gave him a long list <laughs> of reasons. Wow. And in the end, they did. I started working in Coindesk in, I think it was, 20, I don't remember actually, 2016, I think it was. And I started out doing the newsletters, which was a lot of fun because talk about learning fast and also doing newsletters is quite fun because you produce i mean producing something right. is a satisfaction then i moved into product development side focusing on institutional investors began trying to explain to the traditional institutions why this is and why crypto assets broadly are an interesting part of any diversified portfolio 
and moved into the director of research role actually just a couple of weeks ago, beginning of this month. So we're still in the building phase. That's that's amazing. So you you not on, I think most people either change their function or their industry. You actually changed both at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew when I was I knew when I was but I remember saying when I was very young, I think I told my mom when I was very young that I wanted to have three careers and but my parents <laughs> did not think this was a good idea because no way are they gonna pay for an expensive education for their right. daughter to change careers <laughs> all their time. But I knew I didn't want to do just one thing most of my life. And and this is my third career, so hopefully my last. It's certainly the most interesting one so far. I mean finance was fascinating and running a an e commerce startup was also a challenge, not to mention exhilarating. But this is definitely the deepest thing that I've done so far. And the one where no matter how hard you work, I think anyone who works in the sector will agree, no matter how hard you work, you still feel like you're scratching the surface. I like that challenge. Yeah, it's amazing, huh? There's just so much to learn, so much to read, so much to cover. I mean, the space is evolving so rapidly. So rapidly, and we'll never understand it all, because even if you or I may specialize in one area and become experts in that one area, and that in itself is a tall task, this new concept, this new technology covers so many different areas of society, of history, of governance, of politics, of geography, I mean, a whole lot of things that we will never fully understand. And this is why, I mean, I have kids, if I, if we could give them advice on what to study as they get older, it would be study broadly. I mean, specializing is important and mm. necessary to be able to build things, but to understand the role of the interconnected technologies that we have these days, broad, uh, broader disciplines, understanding where things fit into the bigger picture is probably going to be more useful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's why also why I, I tend to think like it's so important to, if you're going to focus on this space, regardless of whether you're going to be an entrepreneur or an investor, or maybe you're covering the space, like it requires, it requires domain focus because there's just so much happening. Even if you're focused on just, just, and I'm saying that, um, um, as an understatement, right? Even if you focus just on crypto, there's just so much going on. It doesn't make sense, I think, in most cases, to do that and, you know, be engaged in other forms of um, of uh, ventures, right? Whether it's enterprise software or, you know, consumer tech and so forth. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Now, I wonder if that'll change. What do you think? Uh, I think it's just going to become more complex and we're going to see <laughs> yes, more definitely. and more things. That's that's my uh, intuition. So, yeah, It's also fascinating that things that we were sure of when we started, because it's so easy to form opinions, right? We do this all the time without even realizing. The more, the, the more we dig, the more we realize that we were wrong, even though we were so sure we're right. And that does bring up the question of how many people out there today who are so sure they're right will end up realizing that they're not. And that doesn't mean that they are not doing the work. That doesn't mean that they're not smart by any means. It just simply means that this is more complicated than anyone knows. There's a wonderful, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a wonderful saying that, uh, I think it's an Irish saying originally that I like very much, which is if you think you understand the situation, it's because you don't have all the information. <laughs> That's a good one. I like what, that what one. Were you, what, have, what were you wrong on when you first got into this? What's the one thing you've realized perhaps you didn't understand as deeply as you would have, as you thought? Oh, that's a good question. Many things. Um, I just think it takes time to really fully wrap your head around everything that's happening. I mean, one thing is 
at the beginning, I think I I was very excited, more from like an investor's perspective, about all the different cryptocurrencies mm. and the different projects that uh, were started. And I think over time, I realized, you know what? Actually, there's a lot of value to equity financing. And I think, I think crypto, cryptocurrency does make sense, but oftentimes it doesn't, right? And yeah. making sure that the incentives align across all the different stakeholders, whether it's the founding team, whether it's the early investors, whether it's the retail investors, is actually a very difficult task. And something that I think, barring very few projects, you know, certainly Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth, but not many others, it's it's proven to be a very difficult task so far. Not to say that we won't see new business model models moving forward, which might work better for all parties involved. But I think there are certain protections and alignment in terms of incentives in equity financing for early stage ventures that make a lot of sense. And there's a reason why this model has been in place for decades now. Exactly. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. There are reasons why some of these barriers and frictions are in place. In fact, they're not all bad. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, first of all, again, congrats on your new role. Would love Thank to hear more about it. So you're now the new director of research at Coindesk. What does that mean? What are you going to focus on? I know previously you've been focused on the institutional side. How does your REM expand with this new responsibility? Yeah, Coindesk is in a unique situation in that we cover the whole cryptocurrency and blockchain sector. We don't just focus on one particular audience. Obviously, recently, what I've been focusing on is the institutional investor audience, as I mentioned before, bringing the traditional finance people into the sector, inviting them to learn more about it and helping them in their journey of discovery. But with this new role, we'll be, I'll be focusing on that still, but also we'll be broadening our audience. We will be focusing mostly on markets to start with, because markets are the way that most of the mainstream, I won't say mainstream, because again, that can sound condescending, I guess the traditional audience will be interacting with this sector first is through the assets and often it'll be through their investment portfolios I mean Bitcoin uh, has been has especially these days with so much macro uncertainty going on out there it's people are looking at it for diversifying portfolios whether that's a good idea or not that's entirely up to debate but this is the way that the traditional audience is coming in and so this is what we're going to be focusing on and explaining to them and especially on the broader aspects rather than focus on research reports on individual assets there are other companies out there that do that very well better than we could do at the moment we will be focusing on the introductory introduction to crypto markets part of it not just for the institutions but also for professional investors and for retail investors because they are all very intertwined and very mixed, these audiences. They tend to want the same thing. They have different priorities and sometimes have, they have different regulations. But in the end, the education is not that different. So we will be putting out some new products. I can't say which yet. I mean, we're just starting to build the department Tell and the roadmap. <laughs> no, you'll see. Watch this space. But it is exciting to be able to produce tools that the audience broadly will be able to use to start their education process and then we help to we hope to be able to help them to continue along that road 
We don't recommend any cryptocurrencies, as you know. We mm -hmm. are very neutral. We don't want to evangelize on anything because we are aware that there are big problems in the sector and it's not right for everybody. And there are times you should step back and there are times you should step in. And it's going to be up to you to decide which is which. And what we want to do is simply give the tools that can help. Got it. So basically developing tools to better educate people about the space more broadly rather than focusing on any specific um, asset. Exactly. And we do believe that investors should make their own decisions. We'd like to help them figure out how to do that. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of demand and I'm sure there's, there's, a, there's a great need for more tools like that. I think a lot of people right now are realizing something big is happening. They want to learn more, but they don't necessarily have the time or the the expertise to really deep dive into it to gain a better understanding. So I think any tool that helps people to to learn more about the space and to educate themselves is is badly needed. Totally agree. When I first started covering the institutional side, I would go around talking to a lot of the funds, the traditional funds, and I would ask them, what do you need? What are you missing? And universally, it was education. Edu we need education. But you're so right. They don't have time. They don't have time to, you know, they are increasingly coming to our events. And we do have an institutional focused one coming up in November, November 12th in New York. That's going to be focused on again, explaining the trends in the sector to the institutional investor audience, more broadly speaking. But again, that does require a lot of time. And if you're not yet convinced that it is important enough, then it's not something that's going to be on your agenda. As you know, whenever people say, I don't have time, that is a judgment call. We have less, this is not a priority for me right. to assign at the time. That's what we're saying. But that's fair enough. We're only, unfortunately, in spite of technological advances, there are still only 24 hours to the day. And until we can get that fixed, um, it's going to probably not be high on the priority of a lot of the traditional investment funds. So what I've been focusing on so far and a lot of what the event in November will be, fo will be uh, focused on as well as the products that we put out so far is to convince traditional investment people that it's worth making some time for this. Not, I mean, I'm not saying drop everything else by any means because it's still a very small asset class in the big picture of things. But really, it's worth making some time for this because it's not going away. It is an interesting alternative. And let's face it, things are changing. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of the institutional side, obviously you've been um, covering the institutional um, side of things for a while um, and I've written some excellent um, articles about it do you Thank see you. do you see that do you see that do, do you feel a sentiment change there I mean we've been talking for a while about you know institutional capital is coming right and the institutionals are mm -hmm. gonna get into crypto it's just a matter of time have they arrived <laughs> How long have we been saying that for? Yeah. <laughs> I think I started. I started hearing that. I started hearing that in 2017. I did really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, but you know, that's a wonderful saying about predictions. If you're going to predict, predict often. So if we keep saying that, we will eventually be right. 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 The um, are they here? Yes, they're here. Of course, they're here. But is the big are is the big bulk of them here? No, not even close. Will it be within the next couple of years? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to try and make predictions on when it's going to happen. I'm not going to make any price predictions either. Why? Because we don't yet know what the tipping point will be. There will be, I think, a tipping point 
for two reasons. One, there's just so much going on in the sector at the moment that is moving the entire ecosystem forward in terms of reliable and regulatorily compliant infrastructure that the institutions are interested in. And two, because institutional investors move as a herd. I've long been saying that there is no one factor, no one trigger that will get institutional investors in, except institutional investors coming in. As they look around and they see their competitors moving into crypto assets, they are going to also. My big fear is that we're, we won't be ready when that happens. Right now, we're not ready. It's, we're talking a lot of money out there, and right, the liquidity isn't there yet. Even some of the infrastructure that is solid and reliable, built by people who have come over from the traditional side, who know what they're doing, it's not ready yet. We mm -hmm. are getting there fast, and the announcements that we've seen just over the past couple of weeks are moving in that direction. Just look at the what we managed to achieve in the bear market. It's yeah. one of the best things about the bear market. It took some of the pressure off and it gave people time to build so that the next bull run will be very different. It won't be dominated by shady exchanges touting relatively dubious tokens and the retail investors not really caring about the fundamentals. It will be dominated by people who understand about fundamental investment analysis and portfolio allocations with some rationale behind it. I'm not saying that it will be purely institutionally dominated. I, I think it will, but that remains to be seen. Another thing we need to bear in mind is that most institutions out there won't do anything with their clients' money until they are comfortable with the idea that their clients will be okay with it and their clients are often retail investors. Right, right. That that makes a lot of sense. I guess I love your optimism there. Um, I wonder <laughs> what are your thoughts about, for instance, IEOs? So I hear a lot of people saying it's not going to be driven by this crazy new wave of ICOs. But then we see a lot of IEOs right now um, and more and more of them. Is that is that any better in your mind? A better a better way to take a product to market? Is that is that just ICO V2? Like how do you think about that? I think it's better than definitely the ICOs because there is more scrutiny. We are watching these more carefully. I'm not saying it's a good way to come to market. That's a totally different statement. Better? Yes, I have no doubt about that. The right way, the sorry, the right way, that's judgment call, which I shouldn't make. The way that the market will evolve, I'm not sure. I do see us replicating a large part of the market structure that this technology was built to replace. But it is a step forward in that it is creating a more well, an efficient way of financing for many small projects, a more rigorous way of vetting some of these products, and an entirely new business model. I don't I haven't looked any I haven't looked closely at any particular IEOs to speak about merits of individual products, but what I'm interested in is the new business model for exchanges that is emerging. I'm not saying that I think this is a good business model. It's interesting, seems to be profitable. It will evolve as time goes along, certainly, but do I think IEOs will end up being the bulk of financing that we see going forward? No, I don't. I think they're there now because the rest is still very much in, um, as I saying, we have here in Spain, it's in nappies still. But the announcement we saw, I think it was yesterday, about INX, a mm -hmm. new type of exchange that's doing a security token via an IPO. I mean, that's actually potentially a very big deal. This is where I think the bulk of the new financing will come from. Security tokens that have all sorts of additional functions, like this particular one that we're talking about, 
That is an interesting new business model that is replicating a type of financing that the large traditional investors are familiar and comfortable with. Whether it's whether it succeeds or not, I don't know. I hope so because it's a fascinating idea. But even if it doesn't, it's pushing the envelope forward and that is triggering new types of discussions and the amount of money that can be raised on public exchanges, the ones that we know and love today and the new ones that are coming up, that's staggering. I think that will make IEOs look insignificant in comparison. Absolutely. And, um, and what are we missing right now? You talked earlier about the infrastructure that's missing for institutional investors. What do you have in mind? We do still have some way to go in custody. Custody has been solved. I mean, and I hear that a lot and I agree with it. It has been solved to the extent that the technology is there. But what is not yet there is the trust. We have some very high quality uh, young providers who have, emer- have been, you know, emerged with this new technology that are crypto first. And they do a very good job and they're increasingly innovating in their services. But they aren't the state streets of the world and the big institutional investors, the pension funds and the insurance companies. They're probably going to wait until they have custody totally guaranteed by a massive balance sheet, not to mention all the regulatory oversight that these big banks have. I think that is still missing. I do think we'll see it within the next few years slash months, maybe. But that is one of the things. There's no one thing that's missing. That is one of them. The other thing is a more lively derivatives market. Large large funds want to hedge. I mean, I'm not, I'm not just talking about speculation. You can speculate today on the derivative markets. I'm talking about the need to hedge positions. Pension funds, insurance funds that are not that risk-friendly, I mean, risk-conservative, they need to hedge. And they, right now, the derivatives market is not quite suited to their needs. Again, that will change. We saw BACT announcing their launch should hopefully later this year. And there are a few other very reputable exchanges that are in the wings and should also be launching more or less around the same time. That'll be a big step forward. Other things that are missing, education, we've talked about that. But one thing that I've been thinking a bit about recently is one problem that most of the funds who want to invest in crypto assets are going to have is the lack of an established valuation framework. How do you value Bitcoin? Sure, it has a market value. We know that. But you can't invest. You can't put a big chunk of your client's money into an asset without having a target value in mind. You need to be able to justify your investment decision to your trustee board, to your clients, to the market more broadly. How do you do that when you don't know how to value this thing? Right now, those of us who buy for our personal accounts, and full disclosure, I do hold a very modest amount of Bitcoin. Those of us who hold for our personal accounts, we, we don't need to do that. We can just you know go with our feel, right? I think it'll be higher a few years from now. Or I think it'll be lower. But if we need to justify that, where do we start? There are no cash flows. So we can't do a discounted model. Okay, gold, you can say gold also doesn't have cash flows. And yet we think we, we have no problem holding that. Yes, but this is younger market and harder to get people to just blindly believe in. We're not there yet. Right. And there are many interesting theories out there on how to do so. But nobody agrees. We're young on that on that particular field yet. And anyone who's... Anyone who works in analysis will tell you it takes a good long time for an established theory to take hold. Yeah. And even then, yes, it should, be, it should be questioned all the time. But right now, there isn't uh, the comfort with how, how do I value these things? Yeah, and there's actually a, a, several interesting discussions happening right now around whether market cap is even the right way to value these tokens. Exactly. Because what even is market cap? Market cap is a reflection of current sentiment. 
But that's not what you really want to take into account when you're making the investment decision. You know what the current sentiment is. You want to know what the future sentiment is going to be. Right. I think also one of the issues is for some of these projects, the circulating supply and the overall supply of the token is actually quite different. Yeah, but that's only material if you know what the demand is going to be. Yeah, definitely. And if you have full transparency into who's going to get what, right? Mm. For some of these projects, you actually don't know how much, for instance, like the founding team or the management team has Absolutely. Uh, secured for them. And one thing, that, one thing that I'm seeing quite a lot, because I've been watching the valuation methods out there, is an increased focus on sentiment analysis. And that is fascinating. I don't know of any other asset except perhaps gold, but again, it's not quite as talked as much about, where you focus on the sentiment. If you have cash flows, you can apply the discounted cash flow model. That's relatively simple. Okay, you, you obviously have to make assumptions of what the future cash flows are going to be. That then you also have to make an assumption about the interest rate you should be using, et cetera, et cetera. But with Bitcoin, it's entirely at the moment sentiment driven and it, sentiment is driven by narratives. We think Bitcoin will be a better money or a better gold. Therefore, its value will go up because people want it for that. But that's making an assumption about the narrative that will take that will hold 10 years from now something like that so it's sentiment which is fascinating and there are some firms out there that have devised ways to quantify this sentiment coindesk has also been working on a data set that quantifies sentiment around a basket of assets and how do you do this you do this through something like monitoring twitter mentions i saw a couple of days ago um, hype to, I think it was called, I should look this up, a hype to valuation ratio where the n number, oh yes, I think I remember, it's the number of times it's an asset is mentioned in Twitter compared to its market cap. And that way you can get a feel for if something is overhyped or underhyped. And this blows my mind that I used to analyze companies for a living. This blows my mind. I've never seen <laughs> anything like this. Right. And we could not do this without something like Twitter. Yeah. Twitter definitely plays an important role in the crypto ecosystem. Though my sense is, as we move towards more and more a market that's going to be driven by institutionals rather than retail investors, I wonder how much sentiment is going to be important there, right? Like, Because my sense is, it is important for a lot of small retail investors. I don't know if you're like big bank or a, a big pension fund, like how much sentiment actually plays a part in the decision-making process. Mm. See, traditionally, it wouldn't, but I don't think we're talking about traditionally anymore, which is part of the big you know, disconnect here. It's hard to get your head around. I am sure that they will have to pay attention to the sentiment analyses because there is no other indicator at the moment. Gold, for instance, is also very driven by sentiment. We, have a, we assume we have a fixed supply. The demand is from jewelry, mainly investment as well, but that is purely sentiment driven. We think gold jewelry is nice because we actually quite like the yellow turn, but that could change. What if platinum was more interesting? Or right. what if we actually decided to go for nice little rhinestones? I think they're very pretty. It's sentiment, but it's such an established sentiment paradigm that we don't question it. We just believe. It also operates as a hedge, though, right, against um, current financial uh, markets. So if I think we're heading into a recession, I might invest into gold as a result. Y you might, but why would you do that? Well, because of the store of value narrative mm -hmm. around gold. And why is it a store of value? It's a good question. It has a negative correlation with um, traditional uh, markets. Not always. 
And again, and in terms of numbers, uh, as you know, I used to be a statistician. In terms of numbers, you can frame any kind of conclusion from numbers just by moving the dates, by moving the goalposts. So in general, yes, we can assume it's not correlated. But if you choose the right time frame, you can show it is correlated to some extent. But either way, I actually agree with you. It's a store of value. And it's what I would do as well for my personal portfolio. That's my personal opinion. But we have to question the assumptions. We are assuming and making that decision that the current opinion, the current paradigm, the current sentiment around gold will hold. What if we suddenly discover that gold is not what we thought it was? I can't think what would happen, but what if we discovered that even being near gold was bad for our health or something like that? This is ridiculous, I know. But the entire value that we place on gold at the moment is entirely due to sentiment. That is so deeply ingrained in the way we look at it that it's hard to separate. It's hard to see that. It's hard to separate why we think gold is a store value from the acknowledgement that that is just pure opinion. There's no fundamental there. True, one of the reasons gold is a good store of value is that it is an alternative money not controlled by anybody. We know another type of alternative money that is not controlled by anybody that is also ruled by sentiment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What what are your thoughts there on Bitcoin as a store, of, you know, digital store of value? I should I should have probably um you know caveat before I even started speaking actually is that these are all my opinions, not necessarily the official <laughs> opinions of CoinDesk. That's fairly obvious, and nothing I say is investment advice because I'm not a registered advisor, and these are all my personal opinions. I do believe in Bitcoin as a store of value. Not because I think it is going to replace fiat or anything like that, not even necessarily because it is the ideal hedge for the current fiat system. I, I don't think the current fiat system is going anywhere. I believe in Bitcoin medium term. It could go up and down in the meantime, obviously. I, think my, I strongly believe in Bitcoin in the medium term because to me it is a better money. Store value implies something that holds its value. And Bitcoin doesn't. It's volatile. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. And if you buy now and with plans to sell in the year's time, you could lose a lot. That's not a store of value, in my opinion. But if you're looking medium term, longer term, then yes, for me, Bitcoin is a store of value because I do believe it is going to be increasingly seen because of sentiment as a better money. Now, is that just sentiment that's giving us that opinion? Probably not, because fundamentally, I do see it as a better money as well. I do think that fundament, those fundamentals will increasingly emerge and increasingly be accepted by the market more broadly. Mm -hmm. But it is still entirely sentiment-driven at the moment. And it, it also precludes the fact that maybe something better will come along. I think that's going to be very difficult, given its peculiarities mm -hmm. and, its, um, and its network effect and its history and the Lindy coefficient, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But again, it's, poss it's possible. Uh, so what do you mean exactly better money? Do, do you mean you can see that also being used as a medium of, of exchange? Or, or... Not really, no. no okay. Just as gold, not, uh, gold is also a better money and that is not controlled by anybody. But no, it wouldn't be used as medium exchange for small purchases. Um, there's no need for it. We have electronic money in the form of our credit cards or our PayPal or our Venmo or whatever we use. No, it's not necessary, I believe, especially for all of those of us who are comfortably living in the Western world. True, it may be very useful for those of us who don't have the luxury of stable financial systems and access to bank accounts, but 
again, that's going to be a longer term development thing. And there may be better solutions in the meantime that emerge. Bitcoin has many frictions when it comes to being used as a store of payment. And while the lightning system and everything show great promise, and I'm excited about seeing what comes up there, again, still very early days there. For me, better money, it's a better way of transferring wealth should you need to do that. I would like my kids to inherit my Bitcoin holding for instance, money in terms of using it to pay, not necessarily, but that's not the only definition of money. In this case, store of value, the money is a type of store of value, although it does lose, I mean, fiat loses its value because of inflation, etc. We can talk, that's a different conversation. For me, it's a better money in that it is not beholden to the political whims of any government or the economic imperatives of any central bank. Aha, uh-huh. so basically the, the notion that it's not controlled by any sovereign state or yes. politicians in general, I guess. Yeah, and that's what gave me the goosebumps five years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It still, it still is. It still is what gives me the goosebumps. It still actually, does, when I right? Think about it. I mean, yeah. it still does. It really still does. And while since then, um, what I was wrong about, I think, back then, was that decentralization is a wonderful thing that surely everyone will embrace with joy. And since then, I've realized, no, that's actually kind of stupid. Uh, centralization has its uses and society sort of needs it. I mean, the, we, we evolve better with a centralized structure. That doesn't mean that there are many cases in which decentralization is not the better option. I do think money is one of them, to be honest, with all of the problems of governance that implies. That's also why I think it would be very hard to replace Bitcoin, because one thing Bitcoin has going for it, that future crypto assets, even though they may solve some of Bitcoin's weaknesses, even future capital will not have, and that is the decentralization. It does not have a leader. Yeah. That is something that will be very hard for any other crypto asset to effectively replicate. Yeah. And it's so far ahead right now, right? I mean, not to say nobody yeah. can catch up, but it's just so far ahead. It's so far ahead. And the fact that it does not have a leader does, I think, inspire a greater degree of trust from not, not the whole investing universe, but a large part of it. Yeah, yeah. There isn't, there isn't anyone that can manipulate it or anyone well, you manipulate in the sense of change the way it works or anyone that can decide to pull the plug or anyone. I mean, that has, it has um, hindered a lot of development in technology. You and I know people who have worked on a platform to have the platform disappear. I used to work for Facebook. So I think you understand about the centralizing power of technology, which can be efficient and it can be useful for pushing in innovation forward, but it does also have a downside. Yeah, there, there are trade-offs for sure. What about, um, curious, Noel, one thing we haven't discussed yet. Um, what about an ETF? There's so much talk on the institutional side about an ETF approval is coming. Or maybe it isn't. How important is that in your mind? Is it, is, is it really going to be a game changer once we have um, an ETF approved? And, and how close or not close are we to that point? I have a good questions. I think it will, its impact will depend on when it happens. If it happens in the short term, say this year, then yes, that's a definitely a game changer because it provides a very easy way, an efficient way, a liquid way for institutions to dabble in it. They don't have to worry about the hassle of the custody and the legality and the this, that and the other. 
yes, short term, it would be a game changer should it happen for retail and for institutions alike. And again, the boundaries between retail and institutional investors there do start to blur. Will it happen in the short term? I don't think so. I don't think the market, I don't think the regulators think the market is ready for it yet. I'm not going to opine on whether I think they're right. I think, okay, I will. I think the market could take it now to a limited extent, but I don't think the regulators are wrong in being careful here. They do need to be very careful because this isn't something that you can walk back if you feel yeah, you are wrong. You they do not yet trust it. that the market, yeah, they do not yet trust that the market is not sufficiently independent or re- robust, I think is the word I'm looking for. They do think that there is manipulation and I think we can agree that yes, there is some degree of manipulation on many of the world's exchanges. And the derivatives market that we talked about before is over good oversight and it's robust, it's growing fast, but it has some way to go still. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how that evolves and whether we will or won't get there anytime soon. Yeah, especially another another factor to take into account is that if it happens short term this year, it would be a massive game changer for the market because we're not expecting it. No one really thinks that it will happen in the short term anymore. I remember when the first approval deadline was due to come out, we were all staring at our screens. It was the biggest (laughs) deal ever. And private chats were a buzz. (laughs) And even at the office, we were all just staring at our screens, watching the clock tick down. But now we're like, meh, yeah, (laughs) no big deal. It'll be be delayed or rejected and, you know, meh. So if, if that came through, that would be spectacular. Yeah. Simply because it would it would catch everybody off guard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. What about Libra? How important is that? Do you think for institutional investors has that has that piqued the interest of many investors that maybe haven't considered getting exposure to the space before? No, I don't think so. I don't think it is of investment interest to institutions at all. I think it's of great interest to the world in that it is a very interesting new concept. Whether it will go ahead or not, I mean, that's still up for debate. I personally fall into the skeptical camp, but it doesn't mean that I don't really appreciate what Facebook have done here. They've made regulators around the world sit up in their chairs. This is going to push the, the conversation forward much faster than I think anything else could have. The potential of a global stablecoin is fascinating, very tempting. I think the fact that Facebook is behind this, and I say this with respect to what they've achieved, is makes it a non-starter. It's unfortunate, but I think that the anti-tech sentiment that we're starting to see come to the front of the conversation in Europe, definitely, and in the United States is going to be a big speed bump, massive speed bump, which could give time for other alternatives to overtake. I think there's so much to unpack with the Libra idea as well, that whether it goes ahead or not, to be honest, I'm not that interested in that. I'm fascinated with the ideas that they're getting the world to talk about and the world and talking at all levels. Retail people have been asking me about it. My family have been asking me about it. Um, where And institutions have been asking about it because this is just a fascinating concept. It's uh, not just the Libra token that is worth investigating. It's the security token that they're wishing to their investors as well. That's a different type of business model, which the which definitely points to where business models in general could be evolving towards. It's uh, also on the um, payments front. That is going to be an interesting thing to watch. But it does 
raise more problems than it pretends to solve. And they have a lot of barriers, in my opinion, insurmountable ones to overcome in the next few years. That doesn't mean it will never happen, but that we have a lot to get through before then. What do you think about it? What do you think about it? Do you, you, know, you know the Facebook culture? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I mean, anything I say as a former Facebook employee is going to be, could be misinterpreted. What do you think of the Libra, Libra concept then disassociating itself from? Well, I, I think the, the one thing that's really interesting about Libra, taking a step back and looking more at the big picture is, and, and I've noticed that even the personal level, right? I think it just created a massive amount of interest and people who, and I mean, I, I've talked about that before, right? Like when I left Facebook last year to start a, a crypto VC fund, many of my friends thought I'm crazy. Right. They're like, don't you know crypto is for <laughs> drug dealers? Right. And guess what? The same friends are now calling me <laughs> uh, for advice. Yeah. Right. And and want to learn more about the space and potentially they want to invest and so forth. And so I think it just provides a lot of uh, legitimacy yeah. to the space. And certainly when it's not just Facebook, right, they have a partner list that includes Visa and MasterCard and PayPal and Uber and, and many others. And and I think it just provides a lot of legitimacy and people are like, whoa, something big is happening here. Yeah. A lot of the people who work at these companies are pretty smart. Have you noticed the, the conversation's must... different though? I mean, back in 2017 with the bull market, you had friends calling you then too, didn't you? But it's a different yeah. type of question yeah. now. Different type of question. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think it is very different, and I don't think many of these companies got involved back in 2017. Um, so, so I do think I do think back to your point earlier about sentiment. I, I do think the the conversations happening right now are quite different yeah. to, frankly, even even six, twelve months ago. Absolutely, and the the legitimacy, as you said, that they are bringing to the sector is not to it, it's consequential it's massive it really is and so you know grateful for that will the institutional investors be interested in investing in libra token no because it's a stable coin it's meant for payments it's not an investment vehicle but it is opening up all sorts of conversations on the way the markets could be evolving going forwards and not just in terms of payment tokens but also the security token aspect is interesting right absolutely i mean it, the, the way i look at it it's almost I mean, unless you have a vested interest, or maybe you hold shares, right? I I almost tend to think that it's secondary whether Libra actually succeeds or not. The, the, the real question is, is the concept of Libra, whether Facebook is successful in implementing it or someone else, totally. whether the concept you know, has legs and could succeed. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the big impact in my mind of Libra. Um, and and Facebook announcing that they want to do that, even if at the end of the day, they won't be the one who are successful in implementing it. True. And this raises a whole different type of conversation. Could Libra be more successful if Facebook wasn't behind it? Bear in mind that Facebook brings a lot of baggage in terms of privacy concerns, but at the same time, no one else has that kind of reach. Yeah. Uh, definitely they have the ability to reach billions of users. Yeah, and no one else does at the moment. So if it if Facebook weren't behind Libra, would it be more successful perhaps or less so? It's a good question. I mean, again, there are trade-offs there. Um, mm. like, like you just said, 
what else are you excited about kind of shifting gears a bit in the in the decentralized finance um ecosystem we talked about sounds like you're quite excited about and and i am too about uh, the concept of security tokens sto's are there any other um innovative exciting and uh, developments that you see in the space that you're particularly interested in i haven't been focusing on individual projects simply because there are still only 24 hours in the day and it's not something that the institutional market is interested in yet DeFi is a great concept but too small at the moment too small and very few of the big institutions are going to trust a decentralized i mean the last thing they want is a decentralized handling of money but longer term this is why i got into the sector i'm an ex-capital markets person and i do see this new technology as the way to transform capital markets more broadly. And I'm not just talking about the assets. I'm talking about the way investment moves, the way money moves, the way assets moves, the way assets are created. I am interested, very interested in the evolution of security tokens. I think there's a lot of hype in the sector at the moment, too much hype. I don't see any viable potential offerings coming up in the short term because one, the demand is just not there yet. Two, the technology is not quite smooth enough. And three, the infrastructure processes have not yet been configured to offer something that's better than what we have currently. But I do think that the blockchain technology broadly will change how stock markets move, how bond markets move, how issuers issue, how savers save. And the broader picture in this is the impact that will have on capitalism. We see a lot in the press these days about how capitalism is suffering, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, it's probably because it's not the capitalism we originally envisioned as a society. But we do also know that the way markets work influence how capitalism evolves. And maybe that is about to change. Maybe it needs to change. Those of us who study the 2008 crisis are aware, painfully aware, that not much really has changed since then. We have more regulations for house. But is that really going to help? I read this morning that uh, the Dodd-Frank regulation that came out after 2008 crash had 2,300 pages with a whole lot more appendices, whereas the Glass-Steagall Act that emerged after the, 19, the, the last Great Depression in the 1920s, I had 33 pages. <laughs> Amazing. So this is how we want capitalism to evolve. I'm not saying capitalism hasn't evolved in the way it needs to. Obviously, people need to be protected, and that does include processes and perhaps pages in legislation. But at the same time, we do also realize that's very given with the monetary easing, et cetera, that's going on. Capital is tricking up, trickling uphill. Capital trickling uphill is not how capitalism was supposed to work originally. And maybe part of the solution, I'm saying maybe because this is threads that we'll need pulling on for the next few years, maybe part of the solution is broadening access, but in a secure and immutable way. Maybe, maybe it's about broadening access to financing for issuers. Maybe it's about making securities more intelligent and reducing some of the middlemen functions and the unnecessary bureaucracy that will make it cheaper for people to be able to A, issue and B, save. And with more access to financing as well as more access to returns on your savings, then that could have a material impact on prosperity around the world, even in emerging economies. This is pie in the sky stuff, I know. I also respect, have a great respect for how capital markets have evolved. The processes have emerged over centuries of making mistakes. But change does happen. And I think we can look around and agree that this is weird. What's going on out there is weird. And nobody really understands what we can do about it and what the potential impact will be. Mm -hmm. Weird, you mean you're talking about the traditional markets? 
Yeah, I'm talking about inverted yield curves becoming normal. Yeah. I'm talking about money supply flooding the market. And okay, we understand this is normal. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Interest rates the being at zero. The normali- yes, so the normalization of really weird situations, counterintuitive situations, that at the same time are making us question our original assumptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe yield curves were supposed to be not inverted. I don't think so. But maybe, again, time we question these, these assumptions, time we start to rethink what we understood to be correct, just like I thought I understood money, realized I didn't. Yeah, time to rethink these things. Yeah. Give me hundred, give me a hundred dollars. I'll give you 90 back in a few years time. Right. And yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. And maybe if I trust you more than I trust any other alternative out there, that's a good deal. Yeah. It's, uh, but who would have thought, right? Even like only a few years yeah. back, who would have thought? Exactly. But if I give you nine, if I give you a hundred today, knowing that you're going to give me 19 in a year's time, and my alternative is putting the hundred under my mattress with the 50% chance it'll disappear, or giving the hundred to my neighbor, knowing that I'll get 80 a year's time for now, you're the better option. So that is, again, rel- we have to rethink our assumptions here. And I'm not saying, I don't understand this yet. I'm working on it. I'm trying to do as much reading as I possibly can in the number of hours in the day that there are. And the more I learn about this, the more excited I get, because the more I realize I have yet to learn, but also the more I realize that change has always happened mm-hmm. and is about to happen again. So so is, does that mean, when you say that, Noel, does that mean that you think, we're going to see an evolution of, of, you know, the type of products and solutions we've seen before? Or do you, do you get most excited because you think we're going to see completely new financial products and offerings that just never existed before using uh, blockchain technology? Both. Both. Yeah, definitely both. We are already seeing new kinds of financial products we never imagined before. Bitcoin is one of them. We, um, The World Bank issued its second bond issue on the blockchain last week. You, that's Facebook, the Libra security token. We are seeing the new kind of products. And while they don't have a huge amount of liquidity yet, again, you got to start somewhere, right? Maybe they won't work, but this is the beginning of a trend. So yes, we will see that. We will also see new rails on which these assets move. This is going to be hard because regulation is very difficult to undo. And looking back through history, it's only ever really been undone after a cataclysm. And I don't think any of us want that. But maybe that's out of our hands. And maybe that's what it will take for us to 20 years from now, be recognizing that it's, yeah, capitalism's working differently. Again, maybe that's not a good thing. But Change is inevitable, and if we can start to think about what kind of a system we would like going forward, and a lot of smart people are thinking about this, and with the communication devices that we have at our disposal these days, there's more interchange of ideas than ever before, then it potentially could be a different type of financial system going forward, which, let's face it, these days has a greater than ever influence on how society works. Absolutely. Noel, thanks so much. I feel like we can talk for hours. We could, we could, and and just scratch the surface. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so so much for taking the time to to share your thoughts today. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Tom. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode of the Blockchain VC and want to help us bring more awareness to the space. I'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. This only takes a few seconds and helps us get the word out.